0: Being entrepreneurs, we talked to a hundred people. We invited some friends out that are that are CEOs in their own right of great companies for drinks, and you you know they thought it was a social event, but they sit down and we're like, "So are you guys using grants? Like, what kind of grants are you using?" And one of them, so he gets all up in his high horse, and he's like, oh, "My time as a CEO is worth ten thousand dollars an hour. Like, I don't use grants." And we're like, "I bet we can get you more than ten thousand dollars an hour from our phones at the bar." He was like, "Okay, you're on." And we did. We got them $21,000 in under 45 minutes. Like it, you know, it, it's possible and it's doable. I'm Arya Han. I'm CTO and co-founder of Pocket It.
1: This is Code Story. The podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead. A team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Laporte, and today how Aria Han created the platform to get you free money by finding the right brands and tax credits. All this and more on Code Story. Aria Han grew up in Okanagan in British Columbia, Canada. She's always been on the entrepreneurial train, though at times she says she may not have known it. She started out studying business, but hated it. She eventually went into grad school because she wasn't ready to work full time. By the end of grad school and a small stint in teaching, she pursued her PhD in genomics. When she observed the folks in the dry lab pasting thousands of lines of code, she was intrigued by computer science. Having some experience with grants, Aria and her co-founder took some friends who were business owners out for drinks. When their platform idea and grant acquisition capabilities were challenged, they took action and secured a large amount of grant money directly from the bar. This is the creation story of Pocketed.
0: We are a software solution for all things government funding programs. So, grants, tax credits, anything in between those two worlds as well. So you go on the platform, fill out a grant profile, we call it. it, takes you less than three minutes and we show you all of the programs that you're eligible for and show you everything you could apply for. And now we're going to show you things you should apply for, which is a slight difference. And so we really aim to be your one stop shop for these programs. We kind of got started in a couple of ways. so. My co-founder, Brianna Blaney, who is an absolute powerhouse of, of a leader and CEO, and I still cannot say no to that woman. And that will probably continue long past pocketed. But she and I met at an accelerator. We were both building different businesses. So both Brianna and I have service companies that are up and running. And She was pitching this HR software at this accelerator we were in. Throughout kind of the content, She was really funny, and so I found myself trying to sit close to her at these sessions and and throughout the accelerator workshops. And slowly, slowly, we became friends, and she actually hired me to do some work on a model for her, and then we liked working together. We were kind of lamenting over pizza and wine, and we were talking about what what we did well, what we didn't do well. This concept of grants came up, and, and we'd done a couple hundred thousand in grants, and we'd use that to build out some really cool and functional tech. And so we thought like maybe we're onto something. So being entrepreneurs, we talked to a hundred people, we invited some friends out that are, that are CEOs in their own right of great companies for drinks. And you, you know, they thought it was a social event, but they sit down and we're like, so you guys using grants? Like what kind of grants are you using? And one of them, he gets all up in his high horse and he's like, uh, my time as a CEO is worth $10,000 an hour. Like I don't use grants. And we're like, I bet we can get you more than $10,000 an hour from our phones at the bar. And we did, we got them, we got them $21,000 in under 45 minutes, like, it, you know, it, it's possible and it's doable, but you have to know all of these things. That kind of solidified for us the need for this and the use for this. And then another thing we're just really passionate about is less than 3% of VC funding goes to female founded companies. You need an alternative. Like, yes, we hope that changes. But in the meantime, we're democratizing access to capital with pocketed. And that's a, a, a big fundamental piece of, of why we're doing this.
1: Tell me about the MVP, so that first product you built. How long did it take you to build, and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life?
0: We built it in 14 weeks, so really, really fast. We hired a team of all new grads, almost 100% on grant funding. By the time we hired them, we knew what we wanted to build. We had mock-ups, not great ones, but they existed and we knew the function and feature list. And so they came into like a pretty prepared project and, and project scope. I'm a big fan of managing scope creep early and often because it's a problem every single time. It, you know, it's, it's written in Python backend, so we used any kind of package that we could just to get it out, right? You're just like, 14 weeks, let's just test it. We don't want to spend six to eight months on this and find out that no one wants it. And uh, React front end. And so honestly, part of that was like, I, I'm i not super picky on languages because I think, you know, if you're good, you kind of pick them up pretty quickly. Actually, what our lead developer right now had zero Python experience. And I was like, I don't care. And he's fantastic now. It's been a couple months. He's like completely up to speed. So I'm not super picky. So the reason we picked those was I wanted the language to be, common so if someone wanted to do it in Perl like no that's super painful or if you want to do it in like something like super bizarre like you know I was like no the people need to be able to work on this like pick one that you know many people would know and there's a lot of support for Python Django was like a very natural choice there and React the front-end guy that we hired that was what he was most comfortable in so I was like yeah fly at her and it's turned out to be those have been really good choices we're mixing in more languages now as the tech team grows our goal was to have, I think, 50 users on it, and we had hundreds and hundreds kind of overnight, so that was a good surprise. From there, we know we just were really user-driven, so we talk to users all the time. and something I actually don't love. I don't love phone conversations. We have almost 7,500 users as of today, so that's fantastic. So now we can't call all the users, as you might imagine, but we do try to call users very regularly. So if you're a pocketed user, expect phone calls occasionally.
1: Let's stay with the MVP for just a minute. So with any MVP, you've got to make certain decisions and trade-offs about feature cut, technical debt, all of all of the above. And it sounds like you, know, you chose languages based on commonality with people being able to come in and, and, and use it or be able to adapt to it quickly. Tell me about more of those decisions and trade-offs you had to make and how you coped with them.
0: There's some decisions that are kind of biting us if I'm totally honest that I, you know, that I would do differently, but we got some really good advice actually early on and it's like ask users to rank the features they want. And so we did that and it's great because you make those people really happy and it's horrible and i because and i'm going to explain it in a second like brianna and i both come out of consulting like building consulting businesses 99 times out of 100 you walk into a call with a potential client and what they think they want is not actually what they want like they're wrong 99 percent of the time and it's totally normal and it's okay and that's why they're calling a consultant in to tell them like oh, you know this is actually what you want And for some reason, we both kind of forgot that in our user feedback calls. And so we built people what they said they wanted, and it wasn't what they needed in our MVP. And so a lot of the changes that we've made and are continuing to make on the platform are really an answer to that. Now I'm telling everybody, like, don't build people what they want. Build them what they need. And those are almost always very different products. You know, there was decisions on features that got cut that in hindsight, I would have reversed. I would have built some things differently. The library we used to do sign-on only allows single sign-on per account, and people ask all the time if they can have multiple logins to the same account, but we kind of locked ourselves in there in a way that now to change it, and we probably will eventually, but it's a non-trivial amount of work to change, so that is not going to come for quite a while. So some of those things that got us the 14 weeks haven't been super scalable, but at the same time, we were able to launch in 14 weeks, raise, and... We've overcome all of the problems and, and we will, you know, switch this module out later. Um, but until then, it's just not a feature that we're going to offer for at least another six months.
1: So how have you progressed the product and matured it? And, and you know, you've, you've talked about, you know, uh, fixing some problems or smoothing the solution into something that people needed versus asked for. And then, you know, talked about some changes and features and things um, and you also talked about the phone calls so you know that ties into really what i'm after was is which is how did you build your roadmap and how did you decide okay this is the next most important thing to build
0: so we spend a lot of time at pocketed talking about that roadmap we have so many roadmap documents and you can see the comments going back and forth with we have our whole leadership team involved in that and it's comments going back and forth like no we really need to build this because you've got someone who's like deeply embedded with marketing and they're like this is the most important thing. and. Brianna, our CEO, you know, forever driving us forward in the right direction. And so you can see the comments in there that are just like, no, we're not doing this and blah, blah, blah. And like build this and me writing like that's technically impossible. So you can't have that, you know, well, if you want this in six weeks that you're not getting this. So it's a lot of debate and a lot of conversation. And I think that's really healthy. And then that's always kind of going back to the data. And so if there's kind of the data is a tiebreaker for us, or we start and we start with that data and say, here's the feedback of our users. And then also here's how users are actually interacting with the platform. So that was something that we got right early on is tracking clicks within the platform. And so we're able to see, well, how long are they spending on this? Like, when do people click these things? Is it obvious what this button does? And so we're really able to use that information to inform our roadmap as well. We also try to plan our next sprint when I don't like two-week sprints because I think they're stressful. We said, okay, what can we do in the next six weeks? And we like to plan that. And then we have like the next four sprints in that document as well. Now the fourth sprint is wrong, but it's also a good way to document our ideas and where we think it's gonna go. The other thing that's really important is I'm a big believer that the tech team needs to understand the users really well and they need to understand all of the business goals. So we don't like to build in a silo within Pocketed because ultimately these guys are making decisions and they need to know that roadmap so that maybe they're they're picking a different library or a different architecture, because even though we're not going to do that today, they can see that in three months, they are going to have to do it. Or they, they talk to users. And so when they're making a slight decision on UI, UX or, you know, something on the front end or back end, they're thinking, Oh, you know, I'm actually going to make this decision because that user mentioned this to me, or I can understand how this is going to expand into a deeper and richer feature set in the future. So we try to be really inclusive for that reason. One, you know, you want everyone at the table and benefiting from everyone's ideas. But also, I don't believe that programmers, developers, software engineers, whatever, can make good decisions without understanding their users and why we're building what we're building.
1: Indeed. Absolutely. Well, let's switch to team then. So you mentioned that team in your last, last answer. How did you go about building your team? And what did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you?
0: So we have a we have a, a pretty good process now. Uh, we post on all the places. Again, I'm less concerned about coding language. It's just like not something I find super important. Then we talk to them. And so the first time we contact them, it's a phone call. So we're just phoning them and we're just like, hey, you know, I, this is Arihan from Pocketed. You're interested. It is amazing to me how much you can get out of that like 30-second call. This is absolutely wild to me the way people will answer their phones, like swear words all sorts of things. So it's like really easy to filter people out. You're like, okay, well, I don't think you're gonna be a great culture fit. So thanks for your time. Most people, you know, that goes pretty well. Then I'll talk to them over a Zoom call. So we're a fully remote company. We're looking for people who care, who people who know what the heck the company does, have reasons why they think they could contribute. We have a guy on our team, actually, we weren't even going to hire for his position, but he did so much work. He's like, I have so many ideas for your platform. I really want to work for you. He sent us like mock-ups and videos of some of his work. And we were like, I guess we're hiring him. So we're really looking for that buy-in and people who care. You can't teach that. You can't manage that. We've been really, really fortunate. Even early on, before our raise, we didn't have much money and, you know, grants were kind of running out and some of our tech team had to move on to positions that paid full salaries, which they absolutely deserve. And now we don't have those issues. But, you know, there was a small period and I think it's really common for startups where that where that was true. And every single one of them stayed on to contracts, stayed on to do handover. Just really, really great relationships with them. And that's credit to them. But also if I'm being selfish, I think it's credit to us as well. Like we're really trying to create that environment where people care and they want to be a part of it and they, they want it to be successful. And so we've been really, really fortunate with every technical person we've hired actually.
1: So let's flip to scalability then. And you already mentioned a bit about this, kind of at a high level, what was scalable and what wasn't. But let's let's open up the field for a full answer. Did you build this to scale efficiently from day one? Or how did you? Or, and, and, uh, and, or, (laughs) are you fighting this as you grow?
0: Both. So there are elements that we got right, right out of the gate. And we're like, yeah, this totally scales. Really, really early on, we figured out that maintaining our database, so making sure that like the grants are there, it's comprehensive, it's complete, and it's up to date, was way more work than we anticipated, but we learned that in the first four weeks. And so we worked really, really hard on a scalable tool for maintaining our database. And we're really proud of it. And it's something that we got right from day one, we're one person, so there's still a human in the loop because government websites are both circular and they hide information and super weird downloads only. So there is still a human in the loop, but there's a, it's really, really tech assisted. So we're able to have one person to keep the entire database up to date and add new grants and it's not a stressful amount of work for them so we're really proud of that database tool suite that we did get right and so from that point of view you know it was scalable we had other elements that weren't we have a tool that we use internally that you know i I think some version of that will, will be available to marketed users shortly that helps us complete applications on their behalf really quickly and almost at scale. So instead of like 45 minutes, we can do it in five. The way that we built that tool was so unscalable, it makes me cry. And so that's one of the reasons we didn't release it. We've since fixed a lot of those problems actually. And so I think a version of it will be released that's not so painful, but the way we built it needed so much curation and so much manual update. The amount of hours we burned on that, I don't even love to think about it. The leadership team, the rest of them are just going to like shake their heads. But I say this all the time. I'm like, I don't want to build something until we've done it manually two or three times. And so there have been some processes that we do manually, but on purpose. And they are so much work. And we hire interns who are fantastic, who grind through that work. But the reason is, especially after this application tool and we just like we built it wrong. I'm like, I don't want to do that again. And so now I'm like, no, let's do it manually two or three times so that we know exactly what we want to build, so that we're not burning hundreds of hours saying like, we built that wrong. We actually need to start from scratch. And that can essentially just like die in some weird GitHub branch.
1: Well, as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of?
0: My late aunt actually, she played a big role in the University of Victoria's business school. And one of the things that was like so fun about hanging out with her all the time, for a lot of reasons, was she's an absolutely formidable woman. Like You'd put on your glasses and she'd be like, oh, I know the co-founder of of that company and this is why they started that. And you know, or I bought some shoes uh, for a baby and she was like, oh, I know the founder of those shoes. And this was her motivation for starting this baby shoe company. And she just always knew all these really interesting things about companies and entrepreneurship and the reasons behind it and the product stories. And that was always fascinated to me because it's just like, it's cool, right? Those like little pieces of like why someone took all of this risk and started because it takes risk, right? It's like the iron stomach of being a co-founder. That experience, we get that through pocketed so often. Like we get to talk to founders at all stages. We say, you know, you can be a small business brick and mortar. You can be a tech company that's trying to scale their SaaS product. This can be your side hustle that you're selling on Etsy and we have grants for you. You can be a food truck the food truck is eligible for more grants than anyone would imagine. And so we get to talk to all these companies. And so I feel like I'm going to slowly become that person who's like, Oh, I know the founder of that. Or like, Oh yeah, I read about that. I, I, you know, I, I talked to those guys when they were two people in their basement, you know, trying to get this going from the ground up. So that has been just having that impact. And, and being able to see that broad community has really been fun. And I'm really proud to, to be a part of so many of those journeys.
1: Well, let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it.
0: We have made a lot of mistakes, so it's not like that's hard. But I'm trying to think of a mistake that we can talk about. Personally, mistakes I've made are around managing. It's something I'm still getting better at. And as the team gets bigger, but I've learned like I'm a pretty bad manager for juniors. I'm like, yeah, here's the goal, guys. Like, here's what I want it to look like. What do you think? Let's hear your feedback. What are the issues? Okay, we'll like knock those barriers out and like go at it. And I'm gonna assume that if you're not reaching out to me with more problems, that like you don't have any and it's all happening. And that works really well for a certain group of people and horribly for juniors. And so I think early on, I learned that the hard way and left some of our staff uh, feeling unsupported. So that's definitely something that I, I work hard to improve upon. It doesn't come naturally to me, even though I'm now like fully aware of it. As a company, we've made mistakes on a lot of the pricing models. It's hard to know what people will pay for and how much they'll pay for things. Like pricing is really complicated on the structures. We want to be founder friendly. We really aim to do that. You know, we're also finding more education is necessary around people understanding what they're paying for. And so I think we got some of the pricing model and business model stuff wrong at first. I think we're circling it. I don't think we've got it fully locked in yet. If I'm 100% transparent, we're feeling better and better about it. But that's is not even technical. Like, I, you know, a lot of the technical things can come and they come from the roadmap and they come from these mistakes that you make. But meeting the user where they're at, we weren't doing a good job of. And I think we're, we spend a lot of time right now talking about what kind of languages our user is using. What are they still confused about? How do we embed? You know, I'm I'm an academic at heart. And so the goal of, of pedagogy is people are learning even when they don't know that they're learning. And if you can achieve that, and you've probably experienced that you've had a course or something or a class and you're like, oh, we do nothing. We just sit there and talk, but somehow you've learned so much. And that's the goal. So we're trying to do that in Pocketed now. And I think we did a really bad job of that in version one. And now we're trying to embed education throughout so that people are learning how grants work and the structure of grants and tax credits and what they need to do to prepare and make use of them. And, you know, Pocketed has gotten almost just three quarters of a million dollars in grants. Like there's a lot of money out there. And how do you do that? We're trying to educate through the platform better. And that's is integration of messaging and marketing and technology that has been challenging but really fun to do. And as we start to do it better, we just see the success rate of and the happiness of our users increase. So that's been a, a long and ongoing road.
1: Well, what does the future look like for Pocketed the Product and for your team?
0: So I'm a big fan. I I call it fantasy, dream, reality, MVP. And so anytime we're doing planning, I like to start people at the fantasy. And I just say like, if imagine that, like, there's no work, there's no resources, magic can happen. Like, what do you want pocketed to look like? Like, let's just talk about that. Let's start at the fantasy and people are really good. And anytime someone has to say, if someone's like, well, I don't know if that's possible or like that can't exist. You're like, no, you don't get to say that yet. Like, this is a fantasy. And so we really set that as an expectation. And from that, you know, a great vision comes out. And so ultimately, you know, Pocket is going in the direction of being the source of truth for all government funding. And then ideally kind of layering that on other things that founders need. So, you know, do they need loans? We now offer grant financing, for example. So most grants in Canada and the US, you pay up front, you get reimbursed later. Well, if you're small and you got $200,000, if you need a way to find us that grant. And so we're starting to offer those services as well so that you can actually make use of the grant. You know, it's like QuickBooks and your payroll software. And it's like, yeah, you're using Pocketed because if you don't, you're missing out on hundreds of thousands of dollars a year and we're just so deeply embedded in your workflow. And there's that trust there that we're really aiming to build with our users from day one.
1: Well, let's switch to you, Arya? Who influenced the way that you work? Name a person you look up to and why.
0: Both my master's supervisor and my PhD supervisor are like super bad examples of work-life balance, and that's who I've chosen to emulate with my life. So uh, I definitely look up to both of them, just really brilliant people, people who had this ability to teach me how to be creative but organize it in a way creative and, and and chaotic almost, but y- you know, keeping that in my own head and how to get that logic of the story after the fact, quite honestly. So it's like from chaos, we create this organization and both of them are really good examples of that. And it's something that I love watching in people who just have these big ideas and visions and how they get there. So definitely both of those people are extremely hard workers um, and great examples of how letting your mind wander and and, and working hard together can create really, really beautiful and amazing things. So those are the first people I always think of with mentors. You know, we've also been really fortunate to participate in a lot of programs, uh, and we've met some incredibly successful founders who walked us through raising for example and who you know would take our calls at weird hours of the day and on the weekends when the first time you raise you just have no idea what's normal you're like is this a normal request like do we say yes to this And to have someone who will answer the phone and say like yeah that's totally normal don't overthink it or to be like no like you just straight up say no to that and walk away um i don't think we could have done it without that so there's, yeah, some people on our board and advisory panel that are absolutely necessary as well.
1: We talked about a mistake earlier, but a little bit different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do different? Or where would you consider taking a different approach?
0: If I could go back to the beginning, I definitely would build what people need and not what they want. So we could have like skipped a whole eight months of build and pain. Uh, and so I definitely would have built more recommendations and you know what should you be looking for I would have changed the language that we're using I would have changed the UI UX that we originally had to you know some of the things that we're rolling out now and have planned so I, I wouldn't have listened to people who when they said this is what I want I would have started asking different questions I would have say what are your pain points what are the problems And then I wouldn't have even asked them to cloud my creativity of like, what might that look like? Or, you know, how would you like to interact with the product? I would have only talked about their problems with people. And then we would have manufactured the solution from the problems instead of asking people what they wanted in a product. And we got that wrong and I would never do it again. I would only talk to people about their problems. People also love to complain. So it's like a great way to get feedback. It's like you talk to your most dissatisfied users because they will tell you everything and uh, uh, like it, it's true and then you make them happy and you, you convert them it's like a, you, two, two birds one stone or I have a friend who's an ornithologist and she always says to say feed two birds with one scone instead of kill them um, which is more lovely so I, I would have done that differently I would have focused on problems only and then we would have come up with a solution instead of asking people what they wanted that was definitely that, it's so easy to do, to do but it makes such a difference in what you design
1: Well, last question, Arya. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit?
0: Access grants, first of all. I'm like this weird person who like my plumber, we had our sink clogged and I had to call a plumber and I'm like straight up pitching him pocketed as he's unclogging the sink. Uh, So I'd definitely say like use grants. It's free money. You don't dilute yourself. Like take advantage of it it's literally there for this purpose but also tell them to find a mentor um, which is annoying because as, especially women we need more than uh, mentorship which is like you can find but you also need money so I would say find a mentor but also access all this capital access 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 it all um, and then I would say like talk to a lot of users really make sure you have that product market fit once you have it, you'll know, which is like, it's like, how do you know you're in love? It's like, Oh, you'll know. Same thing with product market fit, which is like a really annoying answer. I understand. But also it's true. Once you, once you have the product market fit and you have your messaging down, you'll feel it. And you'll be like, Oh, this is it. This resonates with people. People get it. They want it. They're signing up. They're buying it. There's like all of these signals that you're on the right way and it just feels different. So I would talk about that. I would talk about also just you know, one of our mentors early on said this, but like, you kind of got to be like a cat stuck to the screen. So like, you're going to get things wrong, and you just have to be able to roll with that. It's highs and lows. Don't be afraid of that. And just like, keep at it. Like, if you really believe that you have product market fit, and if you don't, you shouldn't be doing it anyway. But if you do believe that you're doing it, like stick with it. There is something just about surviving as a company and making those changes and Pivots and adjustments, and just living long enough as a company to do those things that is a huge determiner of success, as far as I can tell. And then I would also say to anyone who's starting to raise, like raise more than you think, which is what people told us. And like, we didn't listen in the ways that we should have, but I like it just had this very similar situation that you're describing actually recently. you know, sitting next to someone who's a great product, it's super cool. He's like, Yeah, I'm gonna raise half a million dollars. And I was like, Do double that. Like, don't do it. And he's like, No, I think I can do it for this amount. And you're like, You think you can, but like, don't do it. Like, just double it. You need more than you think. It buys you more security. As soon as you raise, you've got investors and, and you're working with other people's money. And so the stress level is higher. So if you're gonna raise, just do more than you think, calculate how much you think, and then Add a lot more to it. That's my other big piece of universal advice.
1: Both great pieces of advice. Well, Aria, thank you for being on the show today. And thank you for telling the creation story of Pocketed.
0: Happy to be here. I encourage everyone to sign up. Again, doesn't matter what you're doing. There's money out there for you.
1: And this concludes another chapter of Coat Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com/codestory for just 5 to 10 bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.